All right, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And this evening, I think I changed the title uh, to God's promises are conditional. God's promises are conditional. This chapter brings us to the last division of Isaiah's prophecy. That is the glory of Jehovah, which comes through the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We move on now in this section to the glory of the kingdom of God. Inward wickedness and outward religious appearances hinder the grace and the glory of God. And it damages the work of Christ as much as anything else. Men who are religious and are church members, but curse like heathens who don't know God, who are dishonest in business, who are immoral in their social lives, and yet talk about being good enough to meet God's standards, actually block the grace and the glory of God. We're told here in chapter 58 why God's glory was withheld. The people were arrogant and skeptical about their relationship to God. They were observing forms of religion, Forms, you know, through ritual and ceremony and, and, and going through the, the outward, you know, forms of religion. And they dared to question God's actions toward them. They judged God for the way God does things. And a lot of people still, still do that today. They judge God for the things that he does, for the actions that he takes with people. Even though they're practicing their religion, they indulge in their own wicked ways. Now, they did the same thing. God's people did the same thing after they were released from Babylonian captivity, which shows the captivity didn't cure them. You know, it didn't change their lifestyle. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we're sorry for our sins? From now on, we'll call the arrogant blessed because those who do evil get rich and those who who dare uh, dare God to punish them get away with evil. You see, they were criticizing God for not blessing them. Oh, even though they were being religious. They went to the temple every day. They made sacrifices. It was shameless pride and overconfidence to question God. But this is the attitude of the natural man. With his outward show of religion, his heart is far from God and his way is wicked. Their superficial uh, godliness makes the Lord sick. The Lord said to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.16, Jesus said, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, our wickedness, our hypocrisy is nauseating to the Lord. And this is what the Lord thinks of churchianity in our day. Religion, playing the part. Look at verse 1 now in chapter 58. And Isaiah says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. God tells Isaiah, tell the people to shout it out like a trumpet blast. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid to tell my people Israel about their sins. 
The messenger's duty is to cry aloud. That is to shout it out. To tell them as, as loud as they can when it comes to man's sin. Isaiah is to do it boldly and without fear. Isaiah has to show the people their sins. The preacher isn't to tell them nice comforting words and to give them friendly cliches. Isaiah, God says here to tell, uh, tells Isaiah, spare not, Isaiah. The preacher is not to hold back. And he's to loudly tell them in a way that it gets through to the people. Deep-rooted perversity calls for strong and radical exposure if men are going to be convicted. And if they're going to repent. And he says, cry out loud like a trumpet. Now, a trumpet in the Hebrew, the word trumpet was the, was the word or is the word for shofar. You see it many times in the movies where somebody's blowing the ram's horn. Well, that's the shofar. And he said they were, they were to blow it out loud. It's the instrument that was used for trumpeting in Isaiah's day. And God says to Isaiah, tell my people their transgression. Referring to their trespasses and acts of rebellion. Their covenant breaking and so on. So their sins are specified here. They're not just generalized. Their sins means to miss the mark. That's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. It's like shooting at a target. And if you don't hit the bullseye, you've, hit, you, you've missed the mark. It means to make a false step, to stumble. True worship was more than religious ritual. It was more than just going through the motions, going through the ceremonies. You know, like going to temple every day or going to church every day. It's more than just fast, uh, fasting and, and listening to scripture readings. These people missed the whole point of a living, necessary relationship with God. You see, he doesn't want us to just act godly when we have unforgiven sin in our heart and to continue in our sinful lifestyle. And even more important than correct worship and doctrine is genuine compassion for the oppressed, poor, and helpless. Isaiah is commanded here to cry aloud. Isaiah, don't hold back. A message that's always unpopular, that's always unpopular and that's to the point, that is, they, it points out transgressions and sins of a people who think they're very religious, again, is to be cried out loud. That kind of a message is going to make people angry, bitter and critical of you when you point out their sins. And only a brave man will do it. One of the basic witnesses of liber, uh, weaknesses of liberalism is the, uh, in the pulpit is it wants to please and appease the natural man without telling him the real truth about his terminal disease, which is sin. Think about this. What if you went to the doctor and he tells you, oh, hey, everything's okay. Everything looks good. When really you have some illness or some disease that if you took care of it right away, it wouldn't, it wouldn't harm you in the future. But you listen to his comforting words. Oh, everything looks good. You, you're reassured by, those doctors, by the doctor's words. And then a year down the road, you end up in a terminal illness when it could have been treated if he told you the truth. The medical profession day would be guilty of gross negligence and malpractice. It's the same idea that religion plays in the life of the spiritual part of a person. 
God is telling it exactly like it is. God does not mince words. And he wants his servants. God wants his servants to tell all men that they're suffering from the terminal disease of sin. And sin is 100% fatal. Apart from Jesus Christ. Which is going to result in eternal death and hell. Separation from the almighty God. Verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. In spite of what he just said in verse 1 about their transgressions and telling them about that, he says, yet they act so godly. He says they come to the temple every day. And they seem like they're delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They even ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be close to me. These people were going to the temple to worship regularly. They were going through the ordinances carefully. They didn't miss a beat in following the forms of worship. They actually enjoyed going to church. And yet their lives didn't show any likeness to those of Christians. And what was true now, here and then, or or true then, is also true today. And I can remember those days, growing up in in, in my religion. I enjoyed going to church, well really, once I was done, why I felt good. I felt good about myself, though I was going out to party and do everything else. But I feel good. I enjoy it because I felt like, hey, I, I, you know, I did something good and God's going to favor me. And yet it didn't change my lifestyle, didn't change anything about me. So acting religious can become a, a substitute for true, true spirituality. God says, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. In other words, he says, they ask me what's the right thing to do. When what they really need is mercy. God says, they actually think they can can call God to give an account for what he does. God does does not owe anybody an explanation for what he does. They actually think they can call God to give account for what he does. But really, theirs is a contradictory blending of formal religion of God along with an apostate life. That is, they have a form of religion, but an ungodly life. Many modern religious people take part in in very proper but totally empty ceremonies. If you move to a new town... And you found a church where the people, you know, sought God every day. Oh, and they really enjoyed knowing God's ways. And they asked God for righteous rulings. And they really enjoyed drawing near to him. Most of us would probably join. Appears to be a good church. But Isaiah might not. Because, you see, it's possible for a church to do all the good things without knowing Uh, that to God, something is very wrong. Now, what were these people really thinking? Look at verse 3. Here's what they were thinking. Why have we fasted, they say, 
and you, God, have not seen it. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. The people said to God, hey, we've, we fasted for you. Why aren't you impressed, God? We've been very hard on ourselves. We've, we've, been, we've humbled ourselves. We've denied ourselves, and you don't even notice us. And God says, I'll tell you why I don't notice you. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. These people are resentfully complaining, why should we fast and deny ourselves if God doesn't notice it? And if he doesn't give us a, a pat on the ba- a back or, a, or applaud what we're doing. Yet their hearts were far from God. It seems that maybe they had made fasting an important part of their religion. The thing is, God never, God never gave them fast days. You see, we can, we can design our own religion and think that this is what God wants. God never gave them fast days. He gave them feast days. And it's true that they were to afflict their souls, that is, to deny themselves in connection with the Day of Atonement and in times of sin, they were to fast. But fasting was the outward expression of the soul. But they made it a form that ministered to their ego and their pride. They boasted about the fact that they fast. Oh, look at me. Look at how I fast. Like the, like the scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees did in the Gospels. Oh, they'd stand out on the corner and they'd look all, you know, sad-faced. And, and, and just, you know, they'd look like they were just miserable. And, and they were fasting. And they were putting on this show for people. Oh, look at those guys. They're so holy. They're fasting for God. So, you know, they, again, they, they, they made it a form that ministered to their pride. And when people would say, oh, look at how holy, they go, oh, you know, they, just, they would just feel so, so prideful. They boasted about the fact that they fasted. When fasting was to be a private thing between the worshiper and God, not a public demonstration. We're not to put on a show for people. Jesus condemned them for abusing the fast. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 16. He said, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites and put on a sad face. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. As soon as somebody says, Oh, look at how holy they are. That's their reward. That's all they're going to get. God's not going to do anything. Because they're doing it for their ego and their pride, not for the glory of God. So they shouldn't expect anything from God because they didn't do it because of their relationship with him. This is what Jesus said to his own people, Matthew 6, 17 and 18. He said, but when you fast, notice, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't go around looking with a sad face so people can say, oh, oh, you know, he must be fasting or he must, you know, so people can look. And no, God says, hey, you know, wash your face, look, you know, like, you know don't appear to be fasting. And, and, and your father who sees you in secret, he'll reward you. 
Real religion is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, do you boast about your religion? Or go about going through a, a certain ceremony or ritual? Those things are nothing in the sight of God unless they show what's in your heart. We need to be real, not religious. There were probably a lot of people that questioned here what Isaiah was saying. They probably said, Isaiah, what in the world are you talking about? You criticize these people who are very religious. Again, they go to the temple every day. They make their sacrifices. But you see, God knows what's in the heart. Their religion was only superficial. It wasn't supernatural because they didn't have a relationship with God. Now, in this next section, God explains why he rejects their religious show. Look at verse 4. He says, Indeed you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. In other words, he says, Look, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? He says, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. God explains why he can't accept their fasting. He says, because they thought it gave them special acceptance with him. What a misrepresentation of holy worship. When it ends up in quarreling and arguing over trivial matters, things that don't, aren't really important, complaining that fasting is useless, Fasting and prayer should go together. But God doesn't hear the prayers of bad-tempered people. So the Lord asks them in verse 5, notice he says, Is it a fast that I have chosen? Look at it. Are you, are you, are you, you know, is it a fast that I have chosen for you? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? God's grilling them. God didn't command them to fast. And their worship was totally outward. And it didn't show the real condition of their heart. For the most part, this is the condition of too many churches today. Now, there's a lot of wonderful churches, but for too many churches, they have only a form of godliness. The Lord said here, would you call this a fast? The Bible commentator Moffat said, fasting like yours today will never bear your prayers on high. John Knox said, is it enough that a man should bow down to earth, make his bed on sackcloth and ashes? Think you by such a fasting day to win the Lord's favor? In other words, even with all of this bodily affliction, all this, you know, humbling and denying of self, you may miss the spirit of true meaning. A broken and contrite soul is the true ideal of fasting. There is a fast that the Lord does choose, and it's described here in verse 6. Notice, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and, you, and that you break every yoke. God says, this is the kind of fast that I want to see. 
Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Not just self-denial, but also loving service. Isaiah doesn't say anything here about bodily affliction. His concern is for works of righteousness toward the oppressed and compassion towards those who are in need. This is what it's all about. You see, this gets to the heart of the matter where it counts. God says in reality, if you really want to fast, he says, let me tell you what to do. He says, instead of fasting and going around looking self-righteous, he says, stop your sinning. Stop your gossiping. Stop the things that show the wickedness and evil that's in your hearts. He says, let your faith in me be seen in your behavior. He says, start being honest with others. But truthful in what you say. Be truthful, I'm sorry. Be truthful in what you say. Instead of, uh, of seeing you cover yourself in a sackcloth and ash, he said, I like to see you clean up on the inside. What if the Lord walked into a lot of churches this Easter Sunday? And he walked in and he just stopped the services. He said to the worship team, just, just stop. And he just, just stopped everything. And he said, listen. Let's stop this nonsense. Who are you trying to kid? Why are you going through all of this, this form he says, you're not even getting close to me. You're not pleasing me. Because when you leave this service, you gossip. You still have bitterness in your heart. You're not moral in your behavior, and you're living loose lives. You think you're pleasing me by your religious form. He says, I, I want you to know that you're not pleasing me. That's why I'm rejecting you. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? He's saying, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring to your house the poor who are cast out and when you see the naked you cover him you, you give him clothes and, and not hide yourself from your own flesh that is when you see the need that you don't look away like you don't see they're in need and do anything about it fasting and giving were to be closely joined service to suffering people Involve freeing them from their heavy yokes. Jesus said, you know, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Housing the homeless, providing for the needy, even those of, the, even those of, of, of God's family. involves sacrifice. No man can know God and then turn around and close his heart to his brother. God's people here were, were turning their backs on the poor and the needy. They would even refuse to show kindness and love to their own flesh and blood. You see, their religion was cold and it was dead. They didn't have a heart for God. 
You see, when you have a heart for God, you'll also have a heart for other people. You will want to help them. You will want to be a blessing to them. We can't be hateful and sound. We can't be hateful and sound in our theology at the same time. All of the criticism and unlovingness today damages the testimony and the work for Jesus. Isaiah here had a wonderful message for the people of his day, but it's also a wonderful message for us today. It's a timely message. God told his people that he didn't want their so-called worship because they were just going through the motions with no emotions. They were just plain church. He told them they might think, they might think they were having fun. But he says, it's going to become a burden to you because you're going to get tired of trying to keep up a front in the world. God said to them, come clean. Demonstrate by the way you live, live that you are for real. You can see why this kind of message is not popular. You can see why Isaiah isn't a popular guy. You'll never find liberalism dealing with this part of the Bible. Because they like to turn to the Sermon on the Mount and and pick out a few verses like, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And again, which is true and wonderful. But the important thing is to confess our sin to God and, and, and let Jesus live his life through us. Religion is a great way to cover up our sin. But it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we need. God wants his people to turn to him in a real way. Verse 8. Notice, God says, then. Notice, after we do what he just said in verse 7. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Regard. Notice in verse 88, here's a list of promises. These four promises are followed by six more. And they all have to do with the righteous man's way of life. When the man walks in righteousness, guess what follows? The glory of the Lord. God's glory. Light, health, righteousness, protection, and answered prayer are the blessings that come to devoted people and it's promised here. God couldn't show his blessings and his glory to a people who practice their religion so badly. And I think this is one of the reasons that the world today isn't convinced that God is in his church. The world just walks past the church. Why? They don't believe God is there. Now, are they right? God says here, I can't show myself because of your lives. How many of us are blocking the way of God? The story is told that when Alexander the Great returned from one of his campaigns, that he rushed to find his old teacher, Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher. 
It so happened that Aristotle was taking a bath when his visitor came. Alexander told him about his campaign, and then he said, Now, Aristotle, what can I do for you? And the old philosopher wasn't impressed with this young upstart, and he continued his bath. Alexander said to him again, Hey, what can I do for you? Finally, Aristotle said, Well, you can get out of my light. You can get out of my light. Maybe we're saying to God, God, what can I do for you? Like the rich young ruler. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do? Would God answer, you can get out of my light? Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, people are to see our good works, but they're to give God the glory, not us. Because it's God working through us that people see. And it's because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness that that I do anything that's of any worth. And then God gets the glory. You see, that's the important thing. Verse 9. God says again in verse 9, Then you shall call, notice, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Notice the conditions now of seeing God move in our life. He said, if, if, that's why I said the promises of God are conditional. He said, God said, if you feed the hungry and you help those in trouble, then, notice, your light will shine from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. God asked the people to practice one specific thing so that he could bless them. Just one thing. He picked out only one thing. Now, he could have picked out a bunch of things, but he chose only one. And God promised to bless them if. When you see those play, those, that, that little word if in those conditional sentences, underline them. That's a big word. It's the middle word of life. The middle letters of life. God promised to bless them if, if they would show true religion. Verse 11. Notice, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. The Lord will guide you continually, he says, and give you water when you're dry and restore your strength and you'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. God never takes his hand away from the devoted heart. God wanted to bless the people. God wants to bless his people, but he's not going to bless... Uh, you know, wicked living and, 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 you know, and, and lack of devotion. He doesn't reward disobedience, poor behavior. Verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. 
He says, some of you will rebuild the, desert, the deserted ruins of your cities. And then, he says, you'll be known as the restorer of walls and a restorer of homes. You see, God can make you a blessing even after your life is over on this earth. The old ruins will be rebuilt. Why? Because of your influence. Children of your spirit will carry on the work. Verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. God told the people here, keep the Sabbath day holy. He said, don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. In other words, this is the Lord's second conditional proposition and it deals with the greatest institution of Hebrew religion, the Sabbath. Isaiah's uh, generation were as negligent about keeping the Sabbath as, as they were strict about fasting. So Isaiah, in the Lord's name, demands a right dedication of the Sabbath. He says, if, notice, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath. It shows that in Isaiah's thinking, the Sabbath was holy ground. Sabbath was like, was, was holy ground. He says, and if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, To observe the day, that is the day cheerfully. To observe the day cheerfully is a test of the people's faithfulness to the Lord. He said, and to keep from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Even in Amos' day, the businessman, the businessmen, they were annoyed with the day, the Sabbath day. Why? Because it, it interfered with their business. Way back, I remember Sundays, a lot of places were closed. Stores, markets, they were closed. Hey, today it's a day of big business. Today there's a terrible disregard for the day of worship. Sunday. It's become fun day. It's a day that's, that, that, that's become a day for amusement, for beaches and mountains and fishing and business, Sunday getaways that shows our modern day lack of godliness. God says, notice, call the Sabbath a delight. In reality, the Sabbath was given for man's sake, that he might find worship, rest, and refreshment one day a week for the needs of the soul would be a joy to him who used it to draw nearer, nearer to the Lord. Jesus did make the Sabbath day a delight. And it says here, it is to be regarded as the holy day of the Lord, honorable. The Lord's holy day is still part of the Christian name of it. Sunday is the Lord's day. Any part of, and a part of any true Sabbath is corporate worship and teaching in the word of God. He said, notice here, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. In other words, not doing your own thing on Sunday. Not going to, to, to you know, make, make a day of it in, in, in 
amusement or whatever, nor holding business meetings. God has made a weekly appointment with us. Do we love him enough to keep that appointment? If we do, here's his promise as we close in verse 14. Then, notice, if we honor the Sabbath, if we honor the Lord's day, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of, of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Lord says then, he says, I will be your delight. I will give you great honor and I will satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do we delight in the Lord? David said he delighted in the, war, in the Lord day and night. His word was in his mouth day and night. You see, delight in God is the most valuable treasure in the world. Why? Because when we delight in God, it opens up everything else. For example, when the Lord is your delight, guess what? It casts out sin. I don't want to sin. He's my delight. When the Lord is your delight, it praises Jesus. When the Lord is your light, it's, you study the Bible. When we, when we delight in the Lord, we raise our children well. When we delight in the Lord, we, we, we work hard for the benefit of others. When we delight in God, it relieves sufferings. When we delight in God, it builds the church. And when we delight in God, it gets us to heaven. God is saying, Sunday is not an extra Saturday. Sunday is not the end of the week. The end of the weekend. It's not the day to get caught up for Monday and prepare for Monday. And I'm going to tell you, I used to do that. Several years, I never went... On, on Sunday nights because I go, well, it's, you know, I got to get ready for work tomorrow and I got to do this and I got to do that. And God really spoke to my heart. It's, it's, it's his day, one day a week to worship him. I needed to prepare with him for my day ahead. It's the Lord's day. It's a time, it's a time to set lesser things aside and refresh ourselves and others with all the fullness and the goodness of God. And what Isaiah is saying here, in, 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 or God is saying here through Isaiah in chapter 58, God says, this is the kind of church that, that, that prepares. That's the kind of church that the Lord blesses. When we follow the, 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 the light of the Lord, that's the one that the church blesses. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, again, God, may we, as always, Lord, as the, as the psalmist says, may we search our hearts, God. And Lord, may we look to you for the things that the scriptures say, God. And Lord, as Isaiah spoke to the people, God, may he speak to 
to our hearts, God. Lord, may we honor you through the way we live. May we honor you through honoring the Lord's day, God. Father, may we desire to have an intimate relationship with you, God. Not just going through the motions. Having that devoted time with you, God. Seeking your will for our life, God. Help me to do the things that I need to do, God, and to cast out the things that don't do me any good. So, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. And God, we look to you now for your wisdom and your direction. And Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.